If you have your Bible today, uh, look in 1 Corinthians. Uh, we're going to be in the 6th chapter starting in verse 1. Now, I'll bet that many of you have never heard a sermon on this topic. And when I get through, you'll know why. <laughs> this is a hard, uh, a hard section uh, to preach, teach in today's world. People don't want to hear this. But, uh, you know, if we're going to be responsible for teaching the whole Word of God, we've got to deal with some of the passages that are a bit harder. Today, if you don't hold your Bible in front of you and follow along with me, you're going to be lost. So uh, if you don't mind doing it, what page is it on? What? <laughs> we want you to find it. All right. Title of my sermon is Stay Out of Courts. Amen. Let me give a little uh let me give a little background to this before we start. It appears that lawsuits uh were happening to people involved in this Corinthian church. You know, this is a letter from Paul to the Corinthian church. And he has heard that they're having uh, members of the church that are at odds with each other. And sometimes it's going to these pagan, uh, non-Christian uh, places, uh, courthouses, courts. They're using lawyers that uh, are not right, that are not Christian. And so Paul, in this letter that he has written to the church, he includes this in with a lot of other topics that we have been dealing with already and this is the next one. Jesus uh, is mentioned in, in the text in that we know he is watching over us every foot of every day. He is guiding our lives and he wants us to stand up for him and present ourselves uh, in the ways in which the scripture uh, would lead us. Uh, these lawsuits that were being presented in secular pagan courts, uh, Paul depreciates them on two grounds. One, he says, Christians ought to be able to settle their own disputes in their own courts. You shouldn't go to those pagan courts uh, for lawsuits. And secondly, you ought not to have disputes at all. Christian people ought to be able to get along. Uh, in Corinth, some of them were suing each other, were coming against each other. And Paul just thought that was horrible. And so uh, this section of Scripture is to deal with that. All right, look at number uh, verse number 1. Does any of you dare? Now, this word dare in the Greek is a very strong word. Uh, Paul implies here that to act in this way, to go to a secular court, insults God and insults the church. It's insulting. Uh, does any of you dare, when he has a suit, against his fellow, is what it says in the Greek. Now, what the word fellow in my translation uh, means is another Christian. That's probably what your Bible says. Uh, does any of you dare, when he has a suit against his fellow Christian, 
Now, this can mean any other person, but the context uh, leads us to believe it's another Christian. You know, here's two Christians going before a pagan court. Uh, you're going to the law before the unrighteous and not before the saints. Paul's asking that question. Are you actually doing this? That's terrible. He's saying you shouldn't be doing this. That's terrible. What in the world are you thinking? Uh, To go to law before the unrighteous, still in verse 1, and not before the saints. Now I want to switch out a couple words. Where it says here unrighteous, that is referring to non-Christian people. And when it says the saints, that means Christian people. Non-Christians and Christians, respectively, uh, would be preferable for those two words. Now, by unrighteous, Paul does not imply that the Roman courts were unjust. In fact, we have a lot of information come down from historians to say that the Roman courts were heavy-handed, but they, in most uh, of the situations, were just. They were just... Uh, very, you know, if you did something wrong, they'd have you killed. Uh, they didn't fool around. Well, the word is the word unrighteous here is to be taken not in a moral but in a religious sense. These people are unjustified. Uh, they are not rightly related to God. They're not rightly related to the church. Similarly, this word saints has no necessary moral connotation to it. It refers clearly to the people of God, the people of God who ought to be morally good, as God is, of course, but some of them are not. In this Corinthian church, as I've been preaching now for a number of weeks, they were having all kinds of problems. They weren't getting along at all. This was the most troublesome church that Paul had. It was just one problem right after another. And Paul kept sending word to them what to do about specific things. Now we have 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, but we believe that there are also other letters that were written to the Corinthians to straighten them out on some places where they had gotten... Well, uh, these cases that arise within the people of God should be kept among the people of God. You shouldn't go to pagan courts. That's the main thrust here. This is partly a matter of not sending out dirty linen. You know, if you have two people in the same church that are having a big argument, and of course everybody in the church knows it. I pastored a church one time where one brother sat over here and the other brother sat over there. And if they saw that they were going to get to the back door at the same time, one of them would turn around and go out the other way. They hated each other. And, of course, that didn't help the spirit of our services. Well, you know, if you're having a big fight and something goes wrong or there's a couple that gets a divorce or there's somebody that it's in the newspaper that he's a crook, uh, something like that, when you go out, with the dirty linen, and you start telling your neighbors and telling your bridge club and telling your 
a softball team and telling your neighborhood people, oh, we've got the worst thing going on at our church. It's, this is just terrible. It's just terrible. These people are terrible. It's just awful. It's embarrassing. We shouldn't do that. We should never mention, ever mention something that is wrong in our church because that is a bad witness to our community. We're trying to reach our community. We're trying to lead people to Jesus. Now, are they going to want to come to a church where people say, oh, it's just terrible what's going on there? Are people going to line up to come to a church like that? No, they're not. Uh, well, this is partly a matter of, of not uh, loudly coming against the body of Christ. Christian, Christians inherited from the Jews a desire to make a good impression on their heathen neighbors. The Jews did that real well, and the early churches followed that illustration, which was a smart thing to do. Some Christians tell all of their neighbors all the bad stuff. And, of course, that's a bad witness for all of us. You know, I don't know of any bad thing that's going on in our church. I I don't know of anything like that. In fact, I haven't known of anything like that for a long time. But, you know, some people, if the story isn't uh, gory enough, they add a little to it to to make it worse uh, so they can tell it. Well, that's just terrible to do that. It was the Jewish custom to settle disputes within the Jewish community. Christians picked that up. And that was smart. Four times a year, we have a business meeting. We meet on Wednesday nights. And when we meet, we talk about things. Uh, We haven't had any of those shouting Wednesday night meetings here. We haven't had anybody say, I'm going to knock your head off. We, We haven't had any of that. I hadn't heard any of that. We haven't had people fussing and fighting and all that. We just haven't had that. But if we did, if we did, you shouldn't say a word about it. The Wednesday night meetings, business meetings, are our business. Not anybody else's business. It's our business. And we need to keep it within our church. You know, you might go out and say, in fact, you know, we have these business meetings and they're all just smooth as they can be. We've got a bunch of good leaders in our church and they're guiding us and everybody is getting along real well. And and that would be a great testimony. You know, tell that. Look at verse 2. Or do you not know that someday the saints shall judge the world? It's talking about the Christians. The Christians will judge the world. Now, verse 2 refers to the participation of the people of God in the judgment on the last day. Now, this is referred to many times in Scripture. In Daniel 7, we see this. In Matthew 19, we see this. In Luke 22, we see this. And in Revelation 20, we see this. Where the believers, the Christians, 
those that are standing with the Lord, they're going to be a part of the judgment process against the others. Since you're going to judge the world, I think this is the inference that Paul is giving here. Since you're going to be one day judging the world, can't you take care of little matters in your own church for crying out loud? That's what he's saying. He's saying, uh, get it together, guys. You shouldn't be having these shouting matches at church. Do you not know that we shall judge angels? Now, we're still in, we're in verse 3 now. We shall judge angels, not to mention everyday affairs. Now, angels, as well as men, will appear in God's court on the last day. The general category of angel in Paul's usage here includes the bad angels as well as the good angels. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, it talks about the angel of Satan. Uh, There were bad angels. And, of course, uh, they're going to be judged uh, for the things that they've done. Now, look at verse 4. Uh, So if you do have courts for everyday affairs, do you appoint as judges those who have no standing in the church? Paul's saying you need to take care of these things within the church. Get your best people, your most honest people, your best business people, your strongest Christian people, your most mature believers... Get them to preside over uh, disputes among the people. Use them, not the pagan courts. Don't go to the courts that Rome has set up. Now, the point is that a society consisting of potential judges in God's tribunal, when it appears before even a Roman proconsul, who, whenever his legal training and experience stands outside the people of God. If you use those Romans, they're not believers. They're not Christians. Don't use them. Verse 5, I say this to your shame. It is to be hoped that when you read this letter, Paul's saying, he's, he's, Paul is real blunt, as you know. Paul says, I hope when you read this, you will feel ashamed of yourselves. That you're going to pagan courts with your issues. That's terrible. You resort to having pagans make up the rules for you in your life. And arguments that you're having with your fellow man. Now let me mention something to you all that you might not be aware of. There are Christian mediation groups in every city across America. If you look it up on the Internet or look it up in the phone book, uh, you'll find those. And you say, well, what is a Christian mediation uh, group? That is a group of Christian people. Now, like we don't have uh, somebody in our church is appointed as the judge. We don't have that. And uh, just between you and me, I don't, I'm not in a big hurry to get that. Uh, but uh, there are in Tampa, 
some of these Christian mediation groups, and they're people that have been lawyers and have retired, and now their ministry is to help Christians that are at odds with each other. Some of the judges are serving in this regard. Uh, they've been a judge for years and years, and they retired, and they uh, wanted to continue in ministry, and so they have given themselves to help people and to judge in Christian courts. Now, that would be so much better uh, than to get a crooked lawyer and go before a crooked judge, wouldn't it? be a lot better. Paul rubs in his complaint, still in verse 5. Has it come to this that there cannot be found among you any wise man? Not one wise man. You don't have one? Let me tell you, I think, why Paul put this in here. You remember last week, last Sunday morning, I mentioned the Gnostics. The Gnostics were people that were kind of dipping their toe into Christian waters. They were not... Uh, strong Christian people, and many of them were not even Christians. Some of them were, some of them weren't. They had studied Greek uh, moral rulings. They had read the books uh, that uh, brilliant people down through the years had written. They read all of those that they could. Uh, they tried to know a lot. They had just read and read and read and read and learned all this stuff. And so when they started uh, coming into that church in Corinth, they said, well, gosh, you people are just babies in the Christ. We know so much. You don't know anything about what we know. We've got to sit you down and teach you how to be a good Christian. And, of course, what they were teaching was Greek philosophy and uh, the philosophy of some of the writers of early years, uh, not... Uh, the apostolic message. That isn't what they wanted to teach. So Paul's saying here, you guys that think you're so smart that you know everything, can't you find one wise man there? That's a slam against the Gnostics because they prided themselves, they thought, in knowing everything. Who can discern, who can decide between his brothers? But brother go to law with brother. And that before unbelievers. Can't you find some people that will help with that? Now let's pretend today, we have a lot of people here today. Let's pretend as we're leaving after church and two of you run into each other out here on the parking lot. And uh, you get out of your car and you're mad and you say to the other person, Why did you run into me for crying out loud? And, uh, you know, there's a big argument out here in the parking lot. That's one way for it to go. Another way for it to go is for one person to go up to the other person, maybe a visitor, and say, are you a Christian? And if the other person says, yes, I'm a Christian, then the first person could say, you know, in Tampa, there's a group of uh, folks that are Christians that are judges and lawyers and maybe we ought to go over there and settle this uh, before a Christian group. Maybe that's what we ought to do. Uh, you can do that if you have a wreck out on the highway. Uh, would it be better to do that, or would it be better to go before 
uh, an ungodly court. See, that's the, that's the point that Paul's trying to make here. Uh, mature Christians can help us and guide us to be in the right slot when certain things happen. And if we're aware of the things that are available to us, uh, we ought to take advantage of some of them. Verse 7, Paul now turns to an even more serious indictment. Uh, Verse 7, in fact, it is already nothing but a failure on your part that you have gone to those courts. It's already a failure. When you go there, it's a failure. Uh, from the truest Christian standpoint, Paul's saying, you have lost before you begin. You're on the wrong side before you begin your court by bringing it to these pagan courts. Now, the existence of contention that calls for a decision by a third party, a party that probably we wouldn't know if we went to some courthouse uh, in Tampa, uh, proves that love has been overthrown. You know, if you, if you do that, then you're not really committing yourself to do it uh, the way that Paul, and we think therefore our Lord, is trying to instruct us to act and what to do. Uh, it's an overthrow of love. Uh, love has been overthrown and replaced by selfish desires. I talked to a fella I knew last week. He said he'd been in a real bad uh, wreck. He said a guy ran into me. He said, you know, I think I could get two million dollars because of this. So I didn't read him my sermon. I just... I just went on. He was so excited about thinking he was going to get $2 million. Well, if your attitude is, I want to acquire in the legal procedure, I want to take the other person for all their worth. Or if you say to yourself, I just want to retain what I have. The car accident was my fault. I just don't want to lose anything. So retaining what I have is my goal. So far as that is true, the Christians involved have ceased to be Christians. That's what Paul's saying. They have suffered defeat before they begin. Now, there is another way, another option, and this is a very, very hard way. I hope that uh, we would think about it, pray about it. I know some that have done it, but this would be the hardest option. Why do you not rather allow yourselves, we're in verse 7, why do you not rather allow yourselves to be wrong? Just let it go. They were wrong, but you're a Christian, and you're just going to let it go. Why do you not rather allow yourself to be robbed? Paul's saying that's a much better option than going before a pagan court, pagan lawyers, pagan judges. It's a lot better than that. 
It is not only the New Testament that contains this teaching. It's only right to point that the Greek moral philosophy was also not unaware that it was better to suffer evil than to do evil. You know, you don't want to have evil in your life. Uh, so, you know, if you, if you don't uh, push it, if you don't go for everything you can get from the other person, uh, you know, you're taking the higher stand. Plato said this, we can say that to do wrong is the greater evil. To suffer wrong is the less evil. And that's true. Well, Paul can point to the Christian ideal. It is not being pursued in Corinth. That's what he's saying. You guys aren't doing any of this. Much less being achieved. You're not even trying. You're not even hoping to do it the right way. Verse 8, but you wrong and rob your brothers. Verse 9. Or do you not know that unrighteous men shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Well, here's another way to look at all of this court stuff. Isn't it better to have a temporary loss for an eternal gain? Now think about that for a minute. A temporary loss for an eternal gain. You know, the more you think about that, the more you think, well, you know, maybe the next time I have something happen, I'll handle it uh, a bit differently. Still in verse 9, do not be misled. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, catamites, catamites were men that had sex with boys. Sodomites were two grown men having sex together. Thieves, rapacious men, drunkards, abusive men, robbers, none of these shall inherit the kingdom of God. That's what he's saying. You know, the uh, Corinthians thought, you know, this, this is too hard. We can't live up to this. This is really not what God thinks. Paul might think this, but this is not what God thinks. That's what they're saying in court. They're saying uh, God is would be too hard on us if we did it this way. None of the people that do any of those things that I've listed are going to heaven. None of them. That's what it says. Now, here's my concern. Two years from now, five years from now, Maybe next year. We have some legislators that want to tell all the preachers in America what they can't preach. I'm sure you're aware of that. Uh, we have a lot of people in our uh, Congress and the Senate. You know, they're getting arrested all the time. Uh, they're getting put out of office all the time for doing the wrong kind of thing. Well, you know, we need, as best we can, 
to have some strong Christians there that will stand up and say, you know, the, the very basis of our society is the Word of God. And if we don't have that, if we don't stand by that, our country is going to move into anarchy. We have got to have the Word of God to teach our children, to teach the neighbor's kids, because they're not doing it. We've got to have the Word of God uh, spoken out among our society. If not, our country is doomed. I believe that. I hope you do. You know, if this is uh, preaching on this chapter is hate speech, and we can't say anything about it, and if we do, we go to jail... That's not good. Well, how are we going to keep that from happening? We're going to have to vote in Christian people. You know, you, uh, Tuesday of this week, if you haven't voted, you need to vote. And then you need to vote uh, in the real election in November. We've got, to, as a block of people, you know, there's a whole bunch of Christians across America. We've got to vote in every one of these things. And vote for Christians for crying out loud. If not, I'm going to have to go to jail. And I don't think I would like prison food. I like meat and potatoes. I don't want some of that other stuff. Well, you know, this is serious. This is really serious. What did you used to be. Perhaps you used to be in one of those categories that I read. But now you're not. You've trusted in Christ. You've aligned your life with Christ. You're moving on the King's Highway. And that's what we want to do. That's what we want to be. We ought to be radically different from the godless. Radically different. And we've got to stand for the people uh, that stand for what we believe. Years ago, I was uh, talking to a guy, and he was lost as a goose. He didn't know anything about anything. Uh, he he said, uh, you know, I don't believe in Christ. Tell me that. And I said, uh, tell me about the Christ that you don't believe in. And he started saying things. And after he would say something, I'd say, if I did, I'd say, I agree with that. I agree with what you said. And then he'd say something else, and I'd say, I agree with that, because I did. So I let him talk, you know, just as long as he wanted to talk. And he said some things that I agreed with totally. Things were misrepresentations of what Christ did, who Christ is, and what Christ promises. Well... When he got through, I said, would you let me tell you about the Christ that I do believe in? And he said, okay. And I started making point after point after point, and he each time said, well, I believe that. I believe that. It's that other stuff that I don't believe. And I said, well, where did you hear that other stuff? In a bar? Where'd you hear it? Did you hear it uh, among the people at Congress? But where'd you hear it? And you know, I tried as best I could that very day to lead him to Christ. 
And it was too big a jump for him that day, but I've prayed that uh, he's made the jump since then. Today, if there's somebody in the house that hadn't trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, I hope you'd make the jump today. I hope it wouldn't be too far for you. I wish you'd make the jump to say, you know, I believe in what you're saying about Christ, that he died for my sins. I believe that. That he uh, comes to us to, to lead us through our daily walk, our daily life. You could say, well, I believe in that. You know, all the wonderful things about Christ that are mentioned in the Scripture. You could say, I believe in that. Well, if so, take the jump. Stand up for him who died for you. We're going to have an invitation, as we always do. We're going to invite people that are here to come and take a stand for Christ, to say yes to him, to be the Lord and master of their very being. The doors of our church this morning are wide open. We hope that you'll come and join with us, not just be a continual visitor, but that you'll join with us and serve with us. We are trying just as hard as we can to reach this whole community for Christ. We're trying to reach out through our missionaries all over the world, and we need your help to help us do that. I pray that you'll come, slip out, stand strong for Jesus. He stood strong for you. I'll be right down here. We're going to sing and you come. Let's stand.